Okay, let's uh, get started. We'll play uh, Jesus Christ Apple Tree. Okay, well, we get to the apple tree today. We're going to, um, I, I, I think it's just like a good old-fashioned Bible study. We're going to take a look at verses today. Well, because uh, I know Pastor Bukes and I have always, uh, we've had a struggle, because there's a lot to say in the Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, and we haven't really, like I, my intention this week was to talk about the bridegroom. And I'm not talking about the bridegroom today because just I never got to it. I don't know. I just, so uh, so Pastor Buke said, "Hey, you gonna talk about the bridegroom today?" I'm like, "No." It's like, "Oh, okay." 
Uh, so I, you know, one of the th- I thought, you know, I'm just going to take three verses, and this will also give you a little indication of kind of maybe where we might be in the actual book of the Bible. We might have gotten through chapter one. Um, and the reason why that is is because there are uh, the the structure of the book is that things are kind of introduced and then they're brought up later, so it's kind of a little a circular. So it's not like you can just exhaust one verse and then not deal with it again. So we use that to our advantage. Krista. Cousin, I just was thinking, one ever crosses humanity down. That's right. You know, I think with Jesus as an apple tree, um, he is so rich, so, um, uh, you know. Just That's right. That's exactly right. In fact, that's, yeah, that's part of today's lesson. So we're going to start at verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3, and we'll just do 3, 4, 5. And if we have time, we'll just kind of keep rolling with verse 6 and 7. If we get past 7, then I don't have any more to say. Okay. No, we, won't, we won't get to it, I'm sure. So uh, Song of Songs, two, chapter, th- uh, chapter 2, verse 3, An apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. So this obviously is uh, the bride speaking of her her, uh, bridegroom. And in this uh, passage here, there's a connection between the man's body and the Garden of Eden. Hence, even Christa's comments about Jesus being the apple. Um, And and this is important for us because this, this... thread of like bodies obviously we briefly have touched it already in chapter one but it becomes even more extreme as we get into chapter three and four um so you know this is important so she she's as she talks about her lover she is talking about the person but at the same time as we talked about this maybe a couple weeks ago is that when the man is kind of enraptured by the woman's body. It's not a thing to him, but it's it's her. It's her person. And likewise, when she talks about him, it's it's the whole person. It's not some idea of him or like kind of romantic thought. Um, it's his body. I mean, it's his body. So it, the only reason I bring that up is because of kind of what we see in this passage. Um, the man's body in the Garden of Eden. Uh, obviously, the, the imagery of garden throughout the Song of Songs should remind us of the Garden of Eden in general. So we, we kind of briefly touched on that already. But a man's body doesn't make, make sense by itself, and a woman's body does not make, it by, make sense by itself. But together, we do see a picture of, of gift-giving going on, life-giving gift for one another. This, uh, and so... This verse is, the man's body is a gift the woman receives, okay? Because <clears throat> she takes his apples and eats them. They're, they're sweet. All right, now, you know, I don't, what is an apple on a man? I don't know, okay? But the point is, is that she tastes him physically. And uh, this is also another aspect of this Bible verse, too, is the senses are very pre- predominant throughout the Song of Song. I mean, it is... We're tasting, we're smelling, we're touching, we're you know, hearing, we're seeing. I mean, that's all of them, right? Tasting, hearing, seeing, smelling, touching. Yes, all five. Okay, anyways, so um, 
so the, you know she sees or uh, she she has uh, she tastes the man and but what's important here though is is that this has been freely given and when a person's body is not freely given and freely received we go back to the very nature of sin and the opposite of love which is use. Um, so what we really have here now is, is, is a reminder of Genesis, or the opposite of Genesis 4, or 3, 4 through 6. And <clears throat> so, but the ser- serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So the images of Eve taking this fruit. Now, what's the difference between Eve tasting the fruit and the woman in the song of songs tasting the fruit? Well, the, the main difference is the difference between grasping and receiving, being given or taking. So we have to ask ourselves, and I don't think a lot of people have ever done this, did God not want us or Adam and Eve to know what was good and what was evil? Did God not want us to know that? A lot of people will say, well, yeah, no, you didn't want us to know, because then if we didn't know, then we wouldn't, like, choose evil. Well, then that, that, that creates complexities in the notion of what free will means. Okay? So, um, so there could be more to it then. Because um, then, then Satan would be right. You know, God doesn't want you to know good and evil because then, well, yeah, if God was withholding information from Adam and Eve, um, you know, would they have would they have a reason to be suspect of God? Do your kids ever, uh, those who are parents, this happened uh, two nights ago in my house. My kids always have dessert. All the time. I'm, 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 I'm starting a little bit to feel bad about it, but not, not too bad. Um, however, even though my kids always have dessert, they always throw a fit when I say, not right now. For a variety of reasons. One is, I still have yet to like eat my vegetables, and my kids are done, and they're ready for the dessert. <laughs> Another reason is, um, sometimes I use dessert as a uh, reward for getting their piano practices finished or doing their homework. But it's never a, you're, you're not going to have it. I'm never withholding it from them. But yet, when they throw a fit, and also certain children of mine, will reach up into the cabinet. And what are they going to do? They are going to reach up, and it's it's our candy cabinet. They reach up in there, and they take it. And then that's when the hammer comes down, right? That is exactly what Adam and Eve has done. Satan created a doubt that God would withhold something from them. 
See, the problem, the problem is, is that the original sin was they, they presumed God wasn't going to give himself to them. God, God was going to show them what was good and evil because he wanted to give of himself to, to Adam and Eve. So the root of the sin was the denial of his love. They believed that he didn't love them and so was going to withhold something. So they actually didn't believe that God would fulfill their desires. Just like my children. They want, they want dessert? I'm going to give them dessert. But in that moment, they believed that I wasn't going to fulfill their desire. Now, of course, I show great patience. I stop them. But I do set up the angel of the Lord with the flaming sword until the appropriate time. So, um, so what we have here, though, is now this image of the man who has fruit and he desires to give his fruit to the woman and she freely receives it. And so we have a, a, a new paradigm of giving and receiving in, in freedom. Again, I don't know if you remember, way back when, like a few weeks ago, we talked about it. as we read the Song of Songs, it's as if the effects of original sin have not taken place. We have all this perfect love kind of stuff. Now we'll see today, though, that even though it's as if sin is not part of this kind of world, the Song of Songs world, it's, not, it's still not enough. So we'll, we'll take a look at that in a second. So, anywho. Um, so that's the point, is that uh, we have a perfect image. When I say perfect, I mean like a complete image of this beautiful relationship between uh, a man and a woman, between the bridegroom and the bride, of, of, of giving freely of himself and her receiving it. And not only receiving it, but, I mean, what does she say about it? It's great delight, sitting in his shadow. And his fruit was taste, uh, sweet to my taste. And she likes to eat it because, what, in two chapters, her breath smells like apples. So, Okay. Now, um, so we have, yeah, we have a paradigm now, paradigm shift. And, and uh, Eve was the paradigm of denial, while the bride in the song is a paradigm of gift. Deny, or receiving. I'm sorry, paradigm of receiving. So we have Eve and a new Eve kind of image going on here. So Eve grasped at the fruit. And a new Eve, uh, according to kind of church church tradition, would be Mary. So you have a contrast um, between, you know, the bride in the Song of Songs being a kind of Mary, where Eve grasped the fruit, Mary received it from God. And so sitting in the shade of the tree, that's the same language as and the Holy Spirit shall overshadow you. So you have the same image. The shadow. She's being over, the bride in the Song of Songs is being overshadowed by this apple tree. And then Eve offered the stolen fruit to Adam, and Mary offers her son to, to the world or to us. And we see that as she precisely kind of fulfills the Old Testament vows of presenting her firstborn 
uh, at the temple. And then Eve got something through grasping. Mary received it through faith and receptivity. Let it be unto me according to your word. That's Luke chapter 1, verse 38. And of course, Eve's fruit rots and Mary's gives life. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. That's Elizabeth's words of Mary. So it's a, it's a, a lot of like beautiful imagery happening here. But of course then, that is, as Mary is, so shall we be. The church. Man or woman, right? Oh, yeah, this is a, I, this is a nice quote that sums up everything. Eve was not mistaken when she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes. That's the same uh, word for delight. Okay. When then were they not to eat of it? The Lord was not asking the first man and woman to deny any genuine yearning of their hearts. Rather, he was inviting them to enter into deep trust into his benevolence or his, his gift giving. That's how I would say it. Deep trust in his gift. He was inviting the bride, that's everybody, not just the bride in the Song of Songs, to believe in and open to his spousal gift of self. Those who do so will taste and see that the Lord is good. That's Psalm 34. But yeah, so as, as uh, uh, the bride in the Song of Songs is, and we see this in Mary, but of course we see this in the church, and even before the church, though, this is exactly what God would wanted out of Israel. It, you know, what did um, we, uh, our family just or is going through Exodus and family devotions, and when they go to Mount Sinai, on their way, as they go through the Red Sea, what happens? What's like the next thing that happens? Well, aside from Miriam's song and, you know, Exodus 16. Jan, do you know? That's right. Hungry or thirsty, right? Yeah. So, and what do they do? They start complaining. And then what's God's response to them? Yeah, like, do you not, do you not think I'm not going to take care of you? So it's this sin that keeps repeating over and over again. And then, um, of course, that doesn't stop God from loving his bride. And, you know, and then he gets to Mount Sinai. And I think I might have mentioned that last time we had met, y- you and me. Um, the uh, uh, old rabbis saw the Mount Sinai event as a marriage between God and Israel and the Ten Commandments being a marriage contract. Or covenant. Um, and that would make sense because God, one of the, so, okay, not to get too much on a tangent, but this is very, I, I love this stuff. Um, is Moses to Pharaoh, he, he says, let my people go, but not just to let them go, to do something. Anybody know what he, what? yeah, to worship. And what does Pharaoh say to him in, in like a compromise? Can't you do it here? And Moses says, no, absolutely not. We cannot do that here. What, is the, what, are the, what do the lovers do in the Song of Songs? Do they go and show their love, their lovemaking out in public? That, that's kind of a sort of a... They, they do have a, 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 you know, they go out into the wilderness. But most of the time they're always in a, in a 
chamber or the wine cellar. Or they're in a they're in private. So Moses is like, no, we we're not going to do that. We can't do that. So we have to go three days' journey to be alone with our God. So um, the so this imagery then of Israel marrying God and the old or being the bride of, in the Old Testament is always is a is a good thing. That really shows who God is as a bridegroom, and but Israel's always really failing as a bride in the Old Testament. But we do have a really good picture of the bride in the Song of Solomon. So that yeah, so as uh, the the bride in the Song of Songs, Mary, Israel, and now the Church to receive what God gives. And Christ wants to give precisely himself as our bridegroom. But yet, what's, what's the, one of the fundamental sins of our life with Christ? I'm not sure you're going to do it. I'm not sure that your love is enough. Come on, Pastor, we've got to be practical. Christ's love can't do everything. Sometimes I've got to do something on my own. No, that's not true. <laughs> Krista. Is that what Eliza was trying? Yeah, right. We don't add anything to, to, to God's love, to Christ's love. That's right. Pure grace. Unconditional love. It, it, God is always the one who moves. Um, and we are the one who primarily receives. Right? So, that, I mean, that, that was kind of the Reformation insight was that... We as people are understood as receivers first. Like logically speaking, if you want to put it in a line, receivers. But obviously when the gift as a gift is meant to be given and not just received. So we always know we are fully receptive when we're giving. <laughs> when we give the gift that's been given to us. Which is expressed in love, right? Faith towards you and fervent love towards one another. Um, yeah, so that's, that's how the, the, the Lord's Supper works. Christ feeds us of himself. We, we taste God. We taste Christ in the Lord's Supper. Um, and then we, we love. So it's, uh, yeah. All right, great. Um, we'll talk more about eating and drinking and tasting and all that stuff Later. When uh, I can't remember if he's gnawing on her neck or something like that. It's kind of like, ooh, racy. Okay. Song of Songs uh, 2, verse 4. He brought me into the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. So what we have here, I already mentioned it, is love always has a place. Love is located. So in the Song of Songs... Um, it's mainly a structure, like I said, wine cellar, this banqueting house, which can be translated as love house. Um, there are instances in the Song of Songs where they, it's almost like they frolic out into the wilderness to be alone. Um, uh, but, but yeah, it's always located. There is a locatedness, a place for love, because they must be together. They got to be together, and so the uh, structure 
provides the opportunity for them to be together. Um, and so in the, yeah, it's like this ever, like I talked about earlier, how Pastor Bukes and I have, or especially me, have always been like, I don't know, there's too much here to talk about. What should I do? There's always this circular thing where um, the couple keeps getting closer and closer to one another. This embrace is becoming closer and closer. So we already had uh, at the end of chapter one where they um, they talk about the beams of cedar in their house. You know, they talk about the structure itself, and now the love, the banner over me is love. Now that banner is a military banner. It's like a standard. However, the image is this kind of fierce love again. So it's this powerful love. And when it's over me, uh, what that means is not like a blanket as much as a complete like covering. You can't get out of it. So it's this fierce love that covers the bride in the love shack, which I, I did, you know, I thought to myself, the love house banqueting. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I can't remember all the words of the love shack. They go to the shack to be, to have love, to, to be love. It's probably not the same, but. I like this. I mean, it's kind of an upbeat song, yeah. Why not? Kirby. Can I tell just kind of a funny slash somewhat beautiful story about the B-52s love shack? <laughs> so Scott was Scott was a pastor. Yeah. And the big year, the big thing was the talent show that the Catholics put on. Like so, Scott didn't attend with me. But <laughs> <laughs> so Claire was five. Like the the Catholics. They have people try out from all over. Nice. Big deal to be selected to be in this talent show. So it was a big event. So, so I took Claire. Claire was five. So we're at this thing, and the, so one of the, and there's like dance troops and sure. comedians. It's like America's Got Talent. Anyway, yeah, right. I hear the B-52s song playing, and like the, the thing opens, and it's the homecoming queen singing Love Shack. with And she was seven months pregnant. And the, at first, I was just like, "Whoa!" Interesting. Love shack. Yeah. She has. But um, I, she was going to get married to the football player soon. Who, you know, I mean, it was kind of a. But I thought I, it was oddly beautiful. I can't quite explain it. Yeah, sure. Sort of very kind of comedically ironic, and yet the, this was the church. Yeah, right. Loving her, and it was like a, she was. In the show. Yeah, right. So. And I was just like, there's something really beautiful about this. There, yeah. Well, yeah, we have a term for that, right? Now, it would be one of these things. So, is she is she um, naked and without shame, or is she shameless? I, I no, I felt like it was. I felt like she was being loved and That's right. being ashamed. It didn't feel. Well, that's what I mean. So she was naked without shame. You couldn't, was she hiding her pregnancy? No. Everyone knew who she was. I still think about that as a really stunningly, it was so cool. It's a very peculiar thing, yeah. Like, hey, this is our girl, and this is what happened, but we're going to love her. We'll let her say, maybe she should have chosen a lot of That's right. Now, well, so this, actually, that's an interesting thing, because, um, 
So there, there could be a, you know, a group of people that says this is shameless, right? right. That she is celebrating this love shack where apparently maybe she's participated in this. And, you know, I mean, like you said, there's irony involved in all this. However, you know, through the forgiveness of sins and uh, restoration. Yeah, it's, it's actually a testimony of something, something else. So whenever you hear the love shack, that's, that's what you think about. The Catholic Church's talent show. I can't think of, I don't think of anything when I think of the Love Shack, so I'll be thinking about that. <laughs> um, all right, no, but this is important for us, though, because the structure uh, completely covers, it's always enclosed, and we have this image uh, in Psalm 27, verse 4 and 5, where uh, the psalmist has no greater desire or no greater something or another, to enter into the Lord's house and see his beauty. Um, and what's interesting is, is that that um, image in Psalm 27, it starts out with the Lord's, his enemies around him. And then all of a sudden it gets into this, like entering into this house to see beauty and to be loved. Well, in Psalm, Song of Songs, 2 verse 4, you have a military banner, that's love, and then you have this image of going into a structure. So you have a, a, you have a temple imagery. Psalm 27 obviously is the temple, and you, God is exposed, I mean, is completely vulnerable to the person. And um, So it's interesting then, because in Song of Songs, they play off of this imagery, same imagery. imagery. And the uh, uh, some rabbis' uh, interpretation of the Targum, he, they talk about how fair the temple of the Lord has, you know, this plays off of what we learned in chapter 1, too, the cedar wood. Um, and then it talks about when the, the Messiah comes, the Messiah's house will be built with beams from the Garden of Eden. And so the, the, the lang- structure language of the Song of Songs is picked up from the, the Solomon's Temple and the Garden of Eden. So, like, er, you know, the, the Jewish people would be hearing these, or, you know, picturing these images, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, just like what happens in the Temple. Oh, yeah, just like what happened in the Garden of Eden. Because both the Garden of Eden was created so that God and man could be together, Holy Communion, I mean, not, not the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, but Holy Communion, between God and man. And then in the temple, that is the place where God said he would be, at the where the altar is. So, And then, of course, the Ark of the Covenant. And he was there most, especially with his people, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. So, um, so all of a sudden now we have this image of worship and sex being together. And I can't remember if I did it last week. This problem. So the canopy, for the structure that's image, there's a canopy of the marriage bed. Um, the the the, the ciborium or baldachin. Now the ciborium that we mainly use is a cup that we put the the bread 
turned body for church, for the Lord's Supper. Have you ever? I mean, maybe some of you might know this. Some of you might not. You know, it looks like the pastor is always carrying cups around, right, during the Lord's Supper distribution. The main reason, the the one, of the, the big thing you can tell the difference between a chalice and a ciborium is the ciborium has a cover, a, a, a roof, a canopy. And the ciborium actually is an architectural term. Uh, I always thought it was just the baldachin. Baldachin is, the most famous baldachin is from St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican City because it's the mo- one of the most dramatic ones. But it is a, it's an architectural... Uh, th- th- a lot of old churches had a baldachin or a ciborium, but it uh, kind of fell out of use, probably because it was so expensive to build. I mean, you had to build a building, and then you had to build another one underneath it. So, um, But the, uh, I have a picture of the baldachin, or the, the ciborium, is St. Peter's. And does anyone know anything about this structure? It's an it's, it's a imagery of the marriage bed canopy. Anybody know anything about the pillars? But uh, yeah, not not just what they're made out of, but like the imagery, where it's said to be ripped off from. It's from Solomon's temple. So, um, again, this is one. I mean, this is like the the ultimate picture of this architectural thing. And it's, of course, oh, well, uh, where, what is it over? Can anybody tell? It's the altar, yeah. So St. Augustine, and I, I can't remember if I shared this quote before, but St. Augustine in his, uh, confe- I think it's his confessions, or else it's, yeah, I'll have to look that up. Um, he talks about the marriage bed of the cross. cross. And I think I mentioned that before, right? When in the Latin, when Jesus dies, he says it is finished. He says it's consummated. So you have Christ giving up of himself and then the blood and the water fall out of him. St. Augustine actually calls that his seminal fluid, which I will not be saying that from the pulpit. Okay, it's a little little too much. Um, Probably too much to even just sit now. But anyways, the whole point though is the imagery of this marriage canopy in the Song of Songs is playing on this ever closer, closer embrace of the bride and the bridegroom coming together. And so um, what might seem as like architectural detail or even historical detail is kind of filled up with theological substance, um, which, yeah, actually, um, well, there's a lot to say about the Baldekin. You can look that up. I mean, I think I got this image from uh, Wikipedia, so there's, there's a lot of, people say a lot of things about it, but, uh, or you can go to the Vatican website, I think. It's by Bernini. Yeah, by Bernie, Bernini, who also did this, which we will actually look at it too. Bernini is uh, St. Teresa of Avalon. And Bernini also did the chair of St. Peter in the Vatican, he also, it's I like high Baroque style, not to get into too much architectural or art history. <laughs> um, but if anyone's been to my summer Lord's Supper class, I have a picture of a dove. It's from a stained glass window. That's a Bernini stained glass window, too. So Bernini's pretty cool. 
All right, now to play off of these, this embrace and architecture, Rodan, 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 Rodan. Oop, let's, let's not listen to that again. Um, oh, so first of all, there's this film company called Eche Films. And I, I can't remember if maybe Pastor Bukes maybe showed this last spring. I can't remember some of it. But uh, there's a series of films on humanity, being human. Really good. Like, I, th- I mean, maybe we'll just show them sometime and talk about them. But there's a little snippet here of Rodin. Is it Rodin? Not, it's R-O-D-I-N, the guy who did The Thinker? That's Rodin? How do you say it? Yeah. Right? Rodin? Okay, that's what I thought, but then I, I thought it spelled differently. Okay. He also made this, uh, let's go over here, let's just, we'll let the lady talk about it. The sculpture is called the cathedral, by the way, the two hands. And of course, I'm going to have to say it. Oh, here we go. No, it doesn't give the lady's name. With a very delicate gesture where fingers are slightly and gently touching each other. They are forming a perfect architecture, a kind of sanctuary between the two hands. It looks like there is nothing. But there is everything. For me, Rodin is telling us every couple, every family on earth is like a cathedral, requiring effort, care, cleverness, wisdom, and prayer. But at the very end, we are all of us, we can be the creators of a masterpiece of goodness, beauty, and spirituality. Okay, I I, I, uh, I I like that. The um, so so the statue is this. It's two right hands. I, I can't remember if she just said that, but uh, it's two right hands. It's a man and a woman's hands, and they are. They're 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 like gonna embrace each other. They're coming closer and closer, but they're just slightly touching. And the um, the point being that there's a space between them that needs to be filled. And and you heard the the ladies speak about. It seems like there's nothing between them, but it's actually filled up with God. God is in between them, and that is what draws them closer to, together, which of course is precisely, so it's, but it's, it's interesting, it's called cathedral though, which is part of the meaning of the sculpture itself. So you have, again, in the Song of Songs, this architecture, structure, language, but it's not, it's not meant just to be, talk about buildings, it's about what that does, what that, what that brings together. And so you see that in the sculpture itself, and especially as it's called cathedral. It's this place where God brings people together, Holy Communion. Um, and of course, it's very elegant. It's, it, you, I mean, you can just look at it, right? It's, it's, it's elegant, it's intimate, it's caressing, it's lovely, 
it's 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 beautiful. Um, I, well, yeah, yeah. Right. That's why I chose it uh, because where's the light coming from? Almost seems like it's inside it, right? Yeah, there's like eight million photos of this. <laughs> if you, just because, uh, and this one was the I thought was really nice, which I think is from the Wikipedia one. It's either that or from the museum's website, the uh, Museum of Rodin in Paris. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. So, and and uh, also Rodin also has a very another well, not only the thinker. Everybody knows that one, right? Does anyone know one of his other his other famous sculptures that involves kind of communion and it's called the kiss. And it's a it's a very kind of Adam and Eve sort of sculpture. But it gets to the same thing as this, although it is a it would be like a picture of what happens in the Song of Solomon. All right, great. So um, anyways, again, the, the video is really neat, too, because it touches on uh, the aspect of we go, we go to church to get to be touched, to be brought together not only with God but with one another. And so, um, yeah, of course, ultimately brought together at the Lord's Supper and the marriage, in the marriage feast of the Lamb. Okay, just go home and look at the statue a lot, and that will be great. All right, the next one is Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 5. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. Sick with love is, is what, you know, is, is the kind of thing that struck out with me. Um, can love make you sick? Well, yes, it, kind of for two reasons, Then this is putting it simplistically, but and uh, once the temple was destroyed, a lot of the Jews, uh, 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 Jewish rabbis, were sick for God's love because they felt it was taken away. And you do get that in the Song of Songs. Um, she's looking for her lover. She can't find him. Her marriage bed is ready, and all of a sudden he's not there. And you know, But here, it's, it's probably for the other reason. See, with Jesus present, God's love is overwhelming, thus it's surpassing love that makes one sick. You're like so full. You're sick. Now, this is very dramatically portrayed in another Bernini statue, the St. Teresa of Avalon. And she had, this is one from her uh, spiritual autobiography. Um, it's kind of her recounting this, which is a little, you know, it could be strange. So uh, she's describing this, this uh, angel coming with the spear of gold and uh, thrusting it into her heart, drawing out her entrails, her insides. And um, when it drew it out, it seemed to draw them also out into the middle there, to leave me all on fire with a great love of God. The pain was so great that it made me moan and yet so surpassing with the sweetness of this excessive pain that I could not wish to be rid of it. The soul is satisfied now with nothing less than God. The pain is not bodily, but spiritual, though the body has a share in it. 
So it's not, it's not like you, your body doesn't count. It is a caressing love so sweet which now takes place within the soul and God that I pray God of his goodness to make him experience it who may think that I am lying. So she hopes that other people experience this lovesickness. Now, of course, this description, I've already used the B-52s. I decided not to use uh, any other song from the 1980s that reminds you of. Anybody a John Mellencamp fan? Yeah, it hurts so good, right? Hurts so good. They make it hurt so good. I don't, for, for whatever reason, I don't remember all the words to that song. So I didn't want to quote it, but you can check that out. Anyways, this is, uh, uh, this whole uh, notion of love, love means so much it hurts or makes you sick is, um, not, it just doesn't happen to St. Teresa. One of the things is that Mary, so she visits Simeon. In Luke chapter 2, and she's going to be told that her heart will be pierced also. Um, yeah, her heart is pierced. So, we, of course, that's when, uh, yeah, you hurt when love, when you, when you loved too much. Or love has loved you too much. Um, yeah, so this is, uh, this is also, so there's two things here, and I think some of it's touched on what you and Pastor Bukes did last week. So there's a, so Eros, this desire, uh, is, is basically, it's not enough. Eros without agape, even if it's purified, is not enough. Human love is not enough. Eros has to be saturated with agape. And I think we've talked about that already. So, but as we live our life, there's this tension between agape and eros. Eros being, you know, our passions. Um, but it's only through agape, through divine love. It restores Eros's true character and then kicks it over the horizon into the resurrection. And I think that's what you, you briefly touched on last week. So um, this is uh, the classic uh, U2 song. I think I put that in there. You know what song I'm thinking about? This would have been off the Joshua Tree album. It's a song where he believes, he says, I believe in, I believe in God. And I knew this through a lot of like Christians in a whirlwind. And they said, you know, he says, you know, I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So he, I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a great image of how um, he, he, there's a limit to this desire that needs to be overcome. And it, it's true. So what we find out here, though, is that it's, Adam and Eve's love, even if, if it's perfected, without God present in it, it will not overcome that original solitude. So let's do a little review here. At, so Adam is created. He names all the animals. But after naming all the animals, even though he's fully himself, he's fully, uh, I mean, in terms of he's like a creature, perfect, without sin, 
he names all the animals and realizes, I'm by myself. There's no one for me to love. It's a man's body by himself. It doesn't make sense. So then God creates Eve, and she shows up, and he's like, holy smokes, this is it. This is the one that I, I, I'm, uh, now I'm myself. I have someone to be with. Not that he was lacking, but he had somebody to, to love, to give to. Perfect relationship, but without God in the mix, their, their, their desires are not completely satisfied. This informs everybody. Married couples, your husband and your wife will not completely satisfy you. I mean, not just because they sin, but because they're not God. And this also for every person that's not married. It's the same lesson. Any, God is the one who fulfills you. So that as, as, a, as a Christian, our, uh, uh, let me backtrack. In the Song of Songs, not only is the bride, uh, you know, Mary, Israel, the church, but it's also the soul. I, don't, I can't remember if we talked about that. There's all these images going on. So, um, so your soul is only satisfied in Christ. St. Augustine, again, says, um, uh, oh boy, don't ask me how to say it, but he says, the longings of my soul are only fulfilled in you, God. And this is a really pretty way he said it, and I just butchered it. But the whole point is, is that um, the, the sickness of love can only be healed by God's love. And so the, our, our passions, our human, kind of human side of love has limits. And there's three kind of limits. Limits is uh, the body's weakness. So God is infinite and his love is infinite, but we are finite. So if God actually filled us up completely with his love, we would we'd break, explode, in a sense. So how do you overcome that? Well, you too, is very helpful for us. But... Um, the only way we can overcome this is by embracing, uh, embracing the weakness. Jesus, oh man, I meant to look this up. It's a great Lenten hymn. Loves, love, uh, Jesus, oh, he was wounded by love. He, ah, oh, never mind. I'm going to have to look that up. It's in our hymnal. Anyways, I completely forgot to do that. I got distracted with you 2 and John Mellencamp. Nuts. Um, but the greatest blow was what love... Oh, junk. Anywho, the whole point is that Jesus, in his love, embraces the weakness and precisely dies. I thought it was what love gave. That's the same one. That's right. Inflicted. That's right. Okay, great. Um, well, if it's justice gave, then I'm wrong. But the point is that that actual hymn, though, in general, speaks to this aspect. So Christ's love, he was filled up with God's love, and where did, it, where did he end up? breaking on the cross. 
So not only from within, but also from without, because he experienced precisely the limits of man's love, because man's love could not love him back. And they crucified him for that. So um, this is also found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. Though I'm weak, I'm strong. Paul had this wound, this, this whatever it was, thorn in his side. And he asked God to get rid of it. But Christ said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And so he, he lives with it. Um, we also, at Pastor Chats every week, we pray the Anime Christi prayer, the soul of Christ prayer. And um, hide me within your wounds. We ask Christ to hide us within his wounds. And that only makes sense if you understand that there's a limit to our body's capability of experiencing God's love. We want to experience love as God gives it, but we can't because our body. But of course, what happens... Okay, so, so then, yeah, so death is upon us, which is, I think, what... Pastor Bukes mentioned last week, right? Uh, marriage is a commitment unto death, but can love surpass this limit? Uh, and it does in the resurrection. Um, and that's, that's uh, because 1 Corinthians 13, 8, right? Love never ends. Agape will restore and surpass human love. So death is swallowed up in victory. So that's, that's 1 Corinthians 15. So our body, I, I, I say this at every graveside, 1 Corinthians 15, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. So the body now surpasses its own limits in the resurrection. That is precisely what the spiritual body is. It's your body, meaning material, but it's surpassed its own weakness. I had a conversation last night with my kids about this. My kids wanted to know, will great-grandma's body be old? For those who did not hear, my, my grandmother died. And we had a very existential conversation last night as we went to bed. And so Penelope asked, you know, will my body be old when I, when I go to heaven, or will I be a kid, or... What will be? I said, I have no idea, Penelope. <laughs> I got a little frustrated, but I said, the, the, I should have started with this. Whatever you look like, you will be beautiful, and you'll be you. I should have left it at that, but I guess I was... <sighs> wanted to get the kids to brush their teeth and get their <laughs> stuff done. Yes, um... No, but we had a, a good conversation. But that, this whole point, though, is, is that when the body, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, it, it's still you, but it's, it's beyond its weakness now. It's been resurrected. So this is important, though, because even the love that you might have for another person might be, might, like, might be just like so good, you still will be have this restlessness or this sickness that needs to be healed. And then uh, Eros is limited by jealousy. We see this in like weird like you know murder mysteries. 
when the person kills their loved one and then like shoots himself, right? Jealousy. So God is jealous, right? In Exodus chapter 20, I'm a jealous God. So he has Israel for himself and he's not sharing them with another lover. But at the same time though, in plain sight in the Old Testament, he still remains in a trusting relationship with her by letting her what? We see this in Hosea, by letting her go. Letting her be out. So the problem though is, is that this has to be overcome. Yeah, it has to be overcome by agape. So yeah, you belong, so like a person belongs to one or each other, but at the same time, no one's a possession of one another. Which of course forms into a, a form of grasping, back to not being able to receive. And so the, um, yeah, so you need to open it up into trust and intimacy. We see that, of course, precisely in Jesus, where he laments how Jerusalem, he said, you know, I would be, I would be with you. I would take care of you as a mother hen takes care of us. But you wouldn't have it. And then he proceeds to enter into Jerusalem and get crucified. But, like God in the Old Testament, he vanquishes our enemies. I already mentioned it earlier in Exodus, right? Pharaoh says, hey, why can't you do it here? That's like, because I'm a jealous God. I'm, I'm not going to have relations with my lover in the midst of you. She's mine, and now yours. So he sends the ten plagues and destroys the ten gods of Egypt and says, let's go. So, um, but of course then they proceed to, yeah, they, they, they're not faithful to him though. Not until heaven. All right. Any questions? A lot of talking. A lot of my talking. Okay, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.